0: Hello, and welcome to the 22nd episode of the Page One Podcast, which is also the first episode of Season 3. For those of you tuning in for the first time, the Page One Podcast is a podcast where we like to speak to uh, writers, authors, screenwriters, comics writers, writers of any kind about how they broke into the industry, what their writing process is, and just chat to them about all the writing hints and tips that we can get. I'm Marco. Uh, Regular listeners will also be expecting my co-host Tarek, but it's just me recording the intro and outro this week. Uh, You'll be disappointed or perhaps happy to hear. Um, Tarek is busy, sadly, cleaning his house. And no, I'm not joking. Uh, he's been getting work done in his house and apparently it is now just covered in dust So he's spending his evening doing that instead of recording this So I know where I'd rather be Worry not, he is actually in the interview though We recorded that uh, last week speaking to our guest And our guest this week is a great one to open season 3 Sarah Pinbra Who is perhaps best known for the huge bestseller Behind Her Eyes but as we hear, she had many jobs before settling on being a writer, it's since when she has written over 20 books, I think, spanning all sorts of genres, uh, and then really hit it big, as I say, with uh, the thriller behind her eyes. It's famous for having a huge plot twist near the end. And we discuss that, but just in case you're spoiler sensitive, we don't spoil what the twist is and we try and avoid anything that will that'll ruin the story for someone that hasn't read it uh, but we do, uh, we do discuss aspects of uh, the story but like I say we try and steer clear of any major spoilers but just in case you're especially spoiler sensitive you may want to read the book before listening to this one. We also discuss her follow-up Cross Her Heart and this week also sees the release in America of uh, what will no doubt be the next bestseller Dead to Her We discussed that with her, and much, much more, including book deals, her writing process, the importance of meeting other authors, and lots more info besides. So it was a really fun chat we had with Sarah, and I'll just get on with it. And I'll be back at the end of the podcast uh, just to let you know about what's happening next week as well. Did you always want to be a writer? Because I know in your case you started out I think as a school teacher.
1: Well, no. Oh, I mean okay. I was a school teacher when I was thirty one.
0: Oh,
2: okay. So Sorry. I'd done
1: quite a lot before then. But nothing of any repute. Like I ran a script club and, you know, ran pubs and <laughs> <at>, you know, <laughs> you know, I basically just it was a bit a bit wild for a little while there. But um yeah, so I was but I was still I think I my first book came out in my first year of teaching. So, you know, I was writing while I was teaching. Um, But no, uh, because I was at school in Edinburgh, actually, as you can tell. As you can tell, (laughs) I I am half Scottish. (laughs) (laughs) I was at the academy. Ah, okay, Um, cool. But I used to do a lot of drama, and it was always going to be acting or writing. And Mm -hmm. then I realized that actors couldn't eat a lot of cake, had to (laughs) exercise a lot. And got up early in the morning and you know, it just seemed like a lot of effort. Yeah. Same with directing, actually, because that was my next thought. And then I was like, no, they have to get up even earlier. <laughs> so, so I thought writing was maybe the way to go. But yeah, I did always write. But when I was about oh God, I think maybe twenty three, twenty-four, it was the dawn of the internet. You know, mm. when you had the dial up and you waited for ages. yeah. And- yep. And so there were just starting to be kind of some forums and stuff for writers, and they would list markets you could send short stories to, which were often very, very pretentious mm-hmm. small press publications, yeah, yeah. you
0: know? know <laughs> yeah, and so I
1: wrote a story, I must have been about, yeah, 24, I reckon, and I sent this story off. And, you know, admittedly, it probably was not the finest piece of literature ever created in the <laughs> history of man, but, you know, I have read worse. So I sent it off and I was, I was kind of really nervous. And then I eventually got a, um, letter back that told me that I was never going to be a writer.
3: Oh.
1: It was, it was shallow, um, and something else and that I should give up. <laughs>
3: I've never heard of but, such a harsh letter to get back from. And it did,
1: it did kind of, kind of put me off for a little while. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, but, uh, but that magazine very soon went out of print. Oh,
3: well, you
0: were very sad about, it, I'm sure. What, yeah. what did they know then
1: exactly? <laughs> exactly. So, but yeah, it just goes to show you just you know. Mm-hmm. So I, did, I always did write, and I always did. Ever since I was a kid, I would write stories. Mm-hmm. But um, I think only when. I think when I was about, it was when I was doing my teacher training. I just thought I'd have a go at writing a horror novel. Yeah, you know. And
3: you were a big Stephen King fan, right? Was that a big influence? Every, every I mean, everyone, everyone is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I think perhaps the finest moment of my life was when Stephen King followed me on Twitter. <laughs> I got, I got like Twitter stage fright for about a week. <laughs> <laughs> I thought uh, he probably did it by accident, and if I tweet, he's going to hear
3: you me. a, he gave you a quote for your, for. Behind her eyes, didn't he?
1: Uh, he actually before behind her eyes. He, my first the moment, and again, I think it was one of the, it was the proper first touchstone kind of moment. Before behind her eyes was out. I, I had a book called The Death House, mm-hmm. and um, I went on Twitter, and I just kept seeing all these tweets with my name and Stephen King and the New York Times all together. <laughs> And I thought something's gone
3: on. It's <laughs> yeah. a, nice, a nice combo to have together. You
1: know, like, and the Death House wasn't even out in America yet. And he had written about it in the New York Times because wow. someone had given him a copy. And I literally was shaking. You know, when you read something and I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God, Stephen King. It was like, really? Oh, my God, Stephen King's read my book. <laughs> so then when he blurred behind your eyes as well, people were like, Oh, so see, you've got a blurb from Stephen King. And I was like, well, actually, I have two. Walk <laughs> <laughs> away, so I've stop playing that. <laughs>
0: hey, I, I, have you ever actually met him? Yes. Oh, wow.
2: She, yeah,
1: I have. I've actually got a photo on my shelf of um I went to his son's wedding, his son, Joe Hill, oh, married yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh-huh.
1: editor Gillian. Mm-hmm. And um, so we went to the wedding in Boston, and he photobombed me brilliant <laughs> it was really cool so there's me and John Scalzi and John Scalzi's wife and we were having a picture taken and Stephen King just like appeared over my shoulder
2: that's amazing <laughs> so you that know I've like, cool.
1: other people's wedding pictures I ordered like a huge copy of this photo Julian <laughs> like, I know it was your wedding but I just want that one picture
3: <laughs> <laughs> framed above the fireplace. So, but I
1: was so nervous, and as you can tell, I in my head I sound like Frank Bruno, but I'm reliably informed I sound like Mickey Mouse on Helium. <laughs> so, <laughs> when I was so nervous to meet him, he has hearing problems,
2: uh-huh. and I was squeaking some high
1: like He was looking at me like, literally no idea what you're saying, love. So <laughs> it's probably for the
3: best. We can lower your voice and post, I'm sure, if you want, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just dub, dub over or something.
1: Yeah, <laughs> put me down to 33.
0: <laughs> um, so if we if we go back to the the start, you I think you sent, your first book was The Hidden, is that right? Yeah. And you yeah. sent that direct to a US publisher, is that?
1: Yeah, because mm-hmm. I'd started to sort of look around in the uk and it just struck me that no one was buying horror you know like i'd sent some letters out to agents and they were like no one's buying horror no one's buying horror you know back in the day when you had to go to the writers and artists handbook
2: yeah
1: and go through and cross them all out which i think is there was something to be said for that instead of people just going on twitter going oh someone please tell me how to do this i'm oh, just you're a grown-up figure it out yeah. <laughs> like, so i'd done all that and um i went to america and then the airport on the way back, I saw these books by a company called Leisure Books, torchester to Publishing. And they were all horror novels, mm-hmm. you know, paperback horror novels. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, okay, this may be somewhere. So um, <laughs> I've got a friend called Tim Levin who... Uh, yeah, he we've, he, we've he,
0: spoken to Tim Levin. Have you? Tim yeah, Levin, like yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. my yeah. first writer friend. And I, he was living in Wales and I was living in Devon. And I literally posted him, like, a couple of chapters and said, oh, because he was... I think he was the vice president of the Horror Writers Association and in those days. God, I'm so old. You got like a little <laughs> paper magazine that came through, and it had all his details on the back. So I thought, well, I'll see what he thinks if it's any good. Uh-huh. He was being published by Leisure, and he was like, "No, no, no, I think this has legs." So I sent it to Leisure, and they literally emailed me back. I sent three chapters, and then mm. they emailed me back and said, "Can you send the rest?" And then they bought it. Wow. So did, that was.
0: Did you know Tim before that, or was that your first?
1: That
2: was
1: my first introduction. Right. Okay. To him, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um. And now, obviously, we're really good mates. But we're now like the old folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the kind of things. Then. So why uh, did? So why did you want great.
3: to go for the for the straight to leisure? Did You not want to go for the agent first at that point? Did you think I'll go was, straight to the source? You just didn't
1: get one writing horror. There was no, and, and maybe. Um, you know it was beginners it was I was just being a beginner you know and I think because I could send to them and they said yes and it seemed to me they were publishing that kind of proper pulpy horror that I was writing yeah but I do there's a part of me that thinks oh you know maybe I should have because those first six books they didn't pay a lot Mm -hmm. you know like I was teaching when they came out but they taught me a lot yeah you know and you know I went to a lot of conventions and festivals and met a lot of people and I, and I, even though I kind of think, ugh, they, I did cut out, you know, I knew a lot of writers at that time that was that would have killed to get into leisure books,
2: Yeah. you mm-hmm. know.
1: Yeah. So I, I kind of cut out a layer of writing for the small presses and, you know, they got me. And and if it wasn't for leisure, I got nominated for, I think it was a British Fantasy Award.
2: Oh, wow. Oh, wow.
1: A couple of those. and But one of them, I was up for Best Novel for a leisure book. And Joe Fletcher, who was at Galantz at that point, mm-hmm said to someone else, I oh, was Sarah only interested in writing horror? And they said, no, she really wants to get out of it. Because I got bored of that stereo. You know, yeah, you had yeah, to stay yeah. very much in guidelines.
3: Because you did about six books you did for leisure. Yeah. The ones? yeah.
1: Yeah, in four years while teaching. You can imagine. Well, the four, in four time.
3: years, that's that's an yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, where do you find the time to write at that point?
1: Quiet lessons. <laughs> <laughs> All my kids would be like, miss, can I die in your book? And I'd be like, yeah, maybe before. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so then from that, Joe, I went for lunch with Joe Fletcher, and then I pitched what was um, the Dog Plays Gods trilogy. So then that was it. I was away from after that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Sorry, that was a very long one. I can't remember what the question. Was. No, no, but
0: yeah, the question was about um, why you went to the publisher first. But you now do have an agent. Um, when when did you actually get an agent?
1: Oh, I got an agent immediately after that. Okay. When he was the worst agent in the world, and he was again—he was, <laughs> oh, was Tim's agent, Tim's agent—and he was Adam Roberts' agent, and he was literally the worst agent. I mean, like, he the last time he wrote to Tim, he just wrote on the envelope. He couldn't even bring himself to write Tim Lebon. He just wrote Lebon.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what, what? What made so, him so bad as an agent? Um.
1: Well, like agents normally are quite social creatures because they have to go yeah. to things. And he said to me once, I'd moved back up to Milton Keynes, and he was going to Adam Roberts' book launch. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, look, do you want to come? It would be good to meet people and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, great. He literally stood in a corner and didn't speak to anybody, not even Adam. <laughs> and he was his agent. you know. So I was like, well, I'm not really meeting people here. But he was just, I, I can't remember all the things that were wrong, but... Yeah, and he still cites us on his website where he runs writing courses. Oh, like, I used to be these people's agents. No, I fired a lot of agents. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that- I was quite ruthless with it. I think I went through about five before I settled on the one I've got at the moment. Who I've been I mean, like- y-
0: that that's, you know, as from the point of view of people that haven't got agents yet or whatever, it's always the big goal is to get an agent. So it takes a lot of... Um, bravery I think to, to do that well i never find another
1: one in my pocket <laughs> <laughs> and I always had one I always had the next one ready right so, but so, I do think on that note that for I mean the one thing I would say for anyone starting out is to go to as many things as possible hmm. because it's I mean I was talking to another writer who's um Simon Bestwick uh, and he, his agent has now become an editor somewhere. Okay. So he's on that hunt for an agent, and he's doing it all probably like sending stuff out. And I'm like, well, you must know someone at that company. And he was like, yeah, I do. But it says on their website they're not looking at submissions. And I was like, no, no. The point of knowing them is you can email them. <laughs> yeah, and say, Know yeah. you're not looking for submissions, but so I do think there's something to be said for not going and pimping yourself, but going and being friendly and social yeah. and having a drink in the so bar. People
2: remember and not
1: you. talking about yeah. work, but yeah. then. My advice is always then after a week when they've settled back down, just drop an email going, "Hey, we met at Harrogate Crime Festival or Stoker Con and yeah. you know I've been writing. I've attached the outline. Obviously, no obligation. And then just do it that way, because okay. it is hard. Agents are so difficult.
3: What yeah. is it in, in your view you think makes a good agent if, if someone's looking for an agent?
1: Well, it's
3: so or is that an impossible to... question?
1: It is, you know, when you've got the right one. I mean, obviously, they should make you money, and <laughs> they should make their ten percent. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I mean, like my my English agent, Veronique. I mean, we we've, we've been. She's like a friend now. We've been together for sort of ten years, mm-hmm. and you know, we just we just she gets me, and she gets the kind of stories I want to tell, and she, you know, she's good at managing to wrangle me back into the. And I'm supposed to be working in at any <laughs> time and yeah and then my American agent the counterpart you know they kind of work together she is just ruthless I mean that woman has changed my life to a certain extent <laughs> I mean she's Irish uh-huh. but she's in New York and I mean, it's crass to talk about money but at the same time you know like I think it's good to talk about money in this business but, you know, when I was starting out, I, the leisure books were $2,000 a book.
2: Yeah, yeah. And,
1: you know, glance was about, I think the average glance advance in those days was 10. I was getting 15, hence oh, my well, age, yeah.
2: age of five.
1: Yeah. Then it went up to 20, then 25. But that was my top rate, it was about mm. 25. And I was not selling probably 25 grams worth of books, you know, like, yeah. so it was. But then um, with the Cross Air Heart deal in America, Flatiron, who had behind her eyes, yep. had rejected cross her heart because it was too dark. Okay. So I thought, God, you know, I've just started this good part of my career and now I've messed it up already. <laughs> um, and my American agent was like, Sarah, 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 calm yourself down. She goes, I'm going to send this to like 10 people who wanted behind her eyes and I'm going to tell them they've got three days to get it back to me. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> and then, And I was so kind of sure that no one was going to buy it. I was so relaxed and she was like can you do a couple of calls with people and I was a bit like yeah and I'd already had like half a bottle of wine like, <laughs> on. and all I was thinking was I just want to be offered enough that I've still got my dignity <laughs> you know because Flatiron had paid quite a lot for behind her eyes and I didn't want to be like five grand or something yeah yeah, yeah yeah and so I had the call with William Morrow and I got on really well with the editor there and then I rang Grunya back and she was on the phone and I was like, Oh, you must be working and then she rang me, she went, Yes, I was working. David was on the phone. She said, Anyway, he's made an offer and I was thinking, like and I know it still sounds it sounds like a lot of money, but I'd been paid more for the other one. I was thinking, Oh, please just pay me like a hundred thousand. You know, like, I, like... Yeah. <laughs> I know, it sounds so awful, doesn't it, when you say it out loud. It's like, Oh my god, first world problem <laughs> She went, Well, he's made an offer and I said, Okay, what is it? And she went, A million for three Holy crap! (laughs) We're going to take it, aren't we? We're going to take it. We're going to take it. And she was like, "No, Sarah, we can get more. I'll call you in the morning."
3: I'd be sweating bullets at this point.
1: I was like, "And she did get me more."
3: Well, that's what you wanted—an agent. Then I think that's the answer. A million, at least a million for three books.
1: It was just like crazy, and it was—I felt sick. I felt it was one of those moments that you think. And, but the thing is, I got off the phone and I thought, oh, well, it's 10.30 and I don't really want any more wine. <laughs> I own, me and the dogs, I thought, mm, well, I might as well just go to bed. And then I woke up, at, I kept checking my email, obviously, because yep. I couldn't yep. sleep. And then we finalised, I think, on, I can't even remember which awful. I think it was 13.5. Wow. Oh, that's
2: fantastic. Well, that's you know? good.
1: <laughs> just for America. Not bad.
2: That's brilliant.
1: I mean, it's not, I'm not talking out of school because they put this stuff in the papers. Yeah, yeah, you know? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But, um... But I didn't know what to do, so I was awake, and I thought, well, I might as well walk the dog. And my dog was going through a phase of being scared of the building sounds, going uh-huh. on at a building thing near the park. Uh-huh. So I've literally just, I'm in my Primark jogging buttons, <laughs> and I'm in the park with Ted, and there's me and these two other dog owners trying to get Ted around the park without him. You know, he just sits down when he's scared, he just sits there with his ears back. and music, <laughs> trying to... And I thought, well, I can't say what's happened overnight, because it's just, crap to say you know like you yeah. not to say oh, guess what happened to me yeah. but it was really grounding because all that mattered in that hour was getting the dog around the park
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> some things never change. It, it.
1: it was the weirdest experience of my life but and you... also the most terrifying because now i panic that i'm never going to sell enough books
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i was going to say has that brought its own pressure yeah hmm.
1: Massively so. I mean, still, again, a first world problem. But when, what I've learned is when you're writing books for 15 or 20,000 pounds, most people don't really care what you write within, within reason. Mm-hmm. You know, you show them an outline and they go, yeah, it's all right, write it. Because they know they can make their money back. Yeah. You know, especially if they've got world rights, they're going to make that money back, yeah. no problem at all. When they're paying you more, you know, it's a much more precise. Because obviously, that was just America. Then there's the English deal. Then, the, you know, like, so yeah. it all adds up. And then, and you do kind of think, you know, like, Cross Her Heart did okay. But in America, it didn't do anywhere near behind her eyes. And mm-hmm. I got paid more for it, you know? So you have that moment of, mm-hmm. oh my God, the next one's got to do well. The next one's got to do well. But, you know, I think people are, they invest.
3: Yeah.
0: Sorry, you that's know? my door. You, oh,
3: it? Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> you just continue. Sorry. <laughs> No, but it must add a lot of pressure pressure. on this. But yeah, exactly. But
1: at the same time, you know, like I'm not. I'm playing the world's smallest violin. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's not. It's a very weird feeling to not. I went through little phases. Because you know what it's like when you you know you work it. You kind of.
3: It's all relative, isn't it? I suppose it's all. Yeah,
1: but I've only just realised I can put the heating on all day if I want. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like oh. That's when you know you've made it. Yeah, it's like oh. Like I'll turn the heating off, and then I'm like, no, I literally
3: can have the heating on if I want the heating on. It's
1: not a problem. I've earned this heat. Yeah, but it's nice to be able to do things like no, take your uh, yeah. outfit and, and all that stuff.
3: And it's nice to have that success because you've 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 written in so many genres. You know, if you're looking back over, over your books, you've written from horror at the start into fantasy stuff with the, yeah. with the Gods trilogy, crime. fairy tale, dystopian, yeah, uh, tie-in books for yeah. for, for Torchwood, and then you've, you've kind of settled now into or it's settled but you've kind of moved now into kind of adult thriller drama thriller. type stuff yeah mm-hmm. and, and and why is that what is it about changing genres that excites you so much uh,
1: well I do get quite bored. the things it's not so much changing genres I like to mix them up mm-hmm. you know they all tend to have a bit of other things in and change, jumping around genres was not good for my career Okay. You know, it's really hard to, when people like if people say, "Oh, I love Behind Your Eyes." Which one of your earlier books should I read? The only one I can suggest is Thirteen Minutes.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, because I think well, if you I've like that, yeah, board. yeah, it's like this. And for publishers, it's really hard to to sell. I mean, I think maybe if you're Neil Gaiman, you can get away with it, but he still writes within a fit. Sp- you know, like it's still fantasy. Well, uh, Neil yeah.
0: Gaiman's almost got the Neil Gaiman genre. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's like, true. Got his own yeah. Genre exactly.
1: going on. But again, it's taken a long time for him to have his own. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, and it's taken TV really. Mm -hmm. Because although he was famous and wealthy, but within a remit of people. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know, all the TV stuff. Um, But yeah, I've forgotten what the question is. Oh, why do I jump around so much? Uh, I went into thrillers because I was reading them Mm -hmm. and I also wanted a commercial success. Mm-hmm. you know and yeah. i was very lucky that the team at HarperCollins really got behind that book
0: i mean it is something that w- w- when we've spoken to other authors especially crime authors mm. actually they they seem to be very restricted into if i want to you know i need to write crime if yeah. i wanted to write something else my agent or my publisher would make me change my name Yeah. Be- for I that very reason simon that Kernick, you said i would
1: love to write simon Koenig, who writes really mm-hmm. fast paced sort of mm-hmm singular thrillers really would love to write a Lord of the Rings style Mm -hmm. fantasy you know there's I think there's a lot of there's a lot of fan crossover in crime horror yeah uh, fantasy you know I think we've all come up reading the same fiction Yeah. yeah but it is um yeah I mean I can still get away with it a little bit because I do TV stuff so you know, I'm, I've got, I'm in development with a TV kind of YA fantasy show with Carnival. I've got another thing with Left Bank that we're working on, which is a bit more supernatural. So I put it into those things mm-hmm. and try and... But, I, see, I think my thrillers, they are all different, but I still think they're in the same sand pit. But my agent, my editor, always says, Sarah, you've got to stop doing things that are different from the other things. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to do it the
3: same. Well, I suppose you're right, though, because the Behind Their Eyes is... it. it for the most part, or it certainly plays like it's a kind of spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I'm not going to spoil yeah. anything, but it does <laughs> it, it plays like it's it, like like it's one thing and then, you know, towards the end it, it twists into something completely different and it does completely catch out. And and I I wondered about planning something like that where, you know, do you do you come up with a twist first and then you fake a story around that well, or do you it's
1: quite an interesting incarnation for that book because I was at um Loncon, which was world fantasy, uh-huh. uh, and it was in the 02. And I was having, which I don't normally have, I don't really get envious of other people, but I was having a moment of looking around me, and there were people that seemed to suddenly have big deals. And I was very aware that I was, you know, on my 20 something book and hadn't, you know, I was doing all right, but nothing had broken through. And uh-huh. I was thinking, God, how much shelf life have I got left? Uh-huh. And I owed a book to. Galance, which was going to be 13 minutes and I owed another book to Joe Fletcher books and Tasha Barden messaged me and she said oh do you fancy like a coffee or whatever so we met up and because we're friends anyway and she said listen she'd just been promoted I think and she said they'd been talking in-house at HarperCollins and saying about authors they would like to work with and they said they didn't feel i had been published well and she was like so will you pitch me something and I was like but I haven't got anything And she said, those fateful words, it doesn't have to be brilliant, which means it has to be brilliant, or at least, you know, so I was like, Oh, my God. So it was an awful week, because it was the week Graham Joyce died. I was looking after my friend's dog, who I had to have put down. And I was just like, Oh, my God. And I was walking up and down Chiswick High Road. And I thought, right, I want to write about and I want to write a thriller because it was actually originally going to be under the Voyager imprint, but then we moved it because we figured it was more mainstream. So I thought, well, I want to write a thriller. I want to write about an affair, but I want to put something a bit speculative in. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a very vivid dreamer and I don't sleep very well. And so I thought um, dreams and sleep. It's a really good, if people feel very disturbed yeah. by that, you yeah. know? So I was, so, but I couldn't come up, And I just thought everything I've got just sounds like every other thriller. So I thought, well, this is it. This is my big shot. And I've, fucked it up before I started so (laughs) so I went to the pub and got myself a large glass of wine and then I sat down and got my notebook out and I thought right this murder's happened and there's this couple and da 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 and then I thought but what if and then I had the twist so Mm -hmm. everything was planned towards that Mm -hmm. twist and it seeded all the way through yeah for me I think I was going to say it doesn't matter to me the speculative element still plays out like a thriller Mm mm-hmm the clues are all there. Yeah. The reveals, are, you know, like I could go back and point people clues. When I, I went on tour in America, and I, I was there was a book group there that had already read it in one of the things, and I, I was doing a reading from. I just used to read the first two chapters or first chapter, yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading, the book group were like, "Oh, of course, ah, <laughs> oh, yeah," and you know, little clues even yeah. from page yeah. one because. I don't mind when people didn't like the book, but it does bother me when people say, "Oh, she just didn't know how to end it," so she threw that in.
3: Yeah. yeah. And
1: I'm thinking, "No, no, you need to read that book again that yeah. you hated." <laughs>
3: <laughs> Cuz those, those you, are the best twists, yeah. certainly when they're seeded throughout. I
0: mean, yeah, yeah. The, like the, the certain stories really reward yeah. going back to them yeah. again, like something like Shutter Island. Shutter, or exactly, exactly, exactly. Is, yeah. 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 Is, a completely, it's almost like a different book. Yeah, this when, you, when you
3: know
2: how it ends, yeah, ends and, and yeah when the, setup,
1: the scales yeah. have been lifted. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But that was very different from Cross Our Heart,
0: definitely. Yeah, well, Cro- Cross our Heart, um, I, I just read it recently. Is
1: yeah, book. <laughs> it's, it's,
0: well, it's 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 not got the it's not got the sort of supernatural element yeah. to it. Um, it. It's in that sense more of a. More of a straight up thriller, but um how did that one come about?
1: Well, one after Behind Rise, I remember thinking, Well, how am I gonna follow that ending? Mm-hmm. And I was in a bar with Tom Pollock and Will Hill. And I said, Well, how am I gonna outtwist myself? And they went, No, no, no. And I think it was Will Hill that said, Don't try and out twist yourself. That way lies M Knight Shemiah Landscreen. That
3: is very um, true.
1: But I'd already, I'd always been fascinated with those sort of Mary Bell stories, the Bulger killers, that mm-hmm. you know, like because I don't believe in evil children per se. She, yeah. I mean, I know that obviously some people must have it, but I think so much about nurture and environment. And I'd been fascinated by the Mary Bell story because when I was a kid, I mean, obviously she was in prison like before I was born, mm-hmm. but it it was very much she was the boogeyman, yeah, you know. And actually, when I was I was reading a book about her, and I was fascinated with the fact that. You know, she was out of prison and grandmother and, you know, like you kind mm-hmm. of think, how do you, how do you cope with that yourself? Yeah. I, I but I, And I, so I wanted to write about that. And I was, I think the thing with the Mary Bell case that I was fascinated by was that two girls did it and mm-hmm. one got acquitted and no one ever thought about her again,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know? So yeah. it was like, no one ever remembered the second girl. Yeah. But so I kind of, and I wanted to make it thrillery, obviously, Um so I was, i did didn't—I couldn't put speculative in it because it would have just not rung emotionally true to have mm-hmm. something weird happening. But the problem with it is that we realised afterwards it was very hard to talk about the book without because without giving the twist yeah. of the yeah. book,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know. So it, it was a really hard marketing. Yeah, yeah that's people, true. You know, so I mean, it still, you know, it was in Sunday Times top 10 but it was a hard you know they worked hard to get it in the Sunday Times top 10 because it wasn't a natural oh this sounds like it you know like I found it hard to talk about it so if we had the time again we'd probably market it differently
3: well a lot of the marketing for for behind your eyes anyway was was about the twist you know the the the, the fact that, that there was a twist was a big yeah, part but of we it
1: we were so confident in the shock value of that ending nobody
3: because i because i wondered is that something that you like or would you rather people don't even know the twist or you know does... no for
1: that book the twist sold that book okay you know because yeah. it was they were within house before we even got to the marketing they were calling it, when people read it, they were calling it the what the fuck book. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I can't, I don't know who it was, but someone in marketing, some genius was like, okay, we'll call it the WTF, that ending. <laughs> and it did sell the book because, because it is, it, it didn't, without blowing my own trumpet, it, you know you see a lot of marketing like oh my god the best twist you'll read all year yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. not
1: a twist it's a good reveal which yes. is in itself a great story mm-hmm. technique mm-hmm. but if you sell it as an amazing twist and it's not you disappoint your reader even if the book is amazing
3: yeah
1: whereas with this love it or hate it it is an amazing twist yeah i, was, you know? I did not
3: see it coming
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, you know that set that last bit people go oh yeah. i saw the first bit it's and that's like, exactly yeah, it's, it's a the second
3: but, the first yes,
1: bit, yes the yes, second right. bit you know, so I think you know. I, the one thing I've learned about all this is that there are a lot of brilliant books written and published that never make those top ten lists because mm-hmm. it's all about the marketing and the yeah. money and the push. And if you're lucky, and they get behind you, hope you know you've got a chance of having a hit. Yeah.
2: there's
1: very yeah. few sleeper hits. I think these days,
0: but but with with something that's got such a major twist, um. Do you uh, uh, presumably you have to have full confidence in that twist as you're writing it? Did did you have to speak to people about it and say, look, does is this going to work? Yeah. Or were you just so confident that it would work that (laughs) that you just wrote it? Um,
1: mm, Oh god, I mean it's hard to remember actually because it's a few years ago Mm -hmm. now. But I remember when I was planning it and I had the outline because obviously I'd pitched the outline. So I kind of bits changed, but you know roughly knew what was going. Mm -hmm. And um. I remember tasha saying it's going to be hard to write and i was like, no it's going to be fine but of course there was one character that was you know adele was hard to write mm-hmm. because my one thing is you can't lie to the reader so everything has to be said in yeah, a way
3: yeah.
1: that is honest but also could
3: have a could be, ha, ha, have have separate opinion. meaning yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah
1: so that was quite hard and there were moments when i thought this all gonna hold together you know and i'm not gonna lie there's the occasional you know dodgy moment and i think oh well why would she go there then and then my editor would say why would she so we make it a phone call instead of go- you know so you have yeah. to you need them to be there so it's but yeah i mean i think i was quite confident it's not so much about confidence in the twist it's whether you're happy with it yeah you know yeah. and well, i was happy with it so it was it was like do you know what and I, and to be fair it was it was my first big book Mm-hmm. So I had nothing to lose, really.
3: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, if it if it didn't hit the top ten, I wasn't dropping. No,
3: no. yeah. You know, like, yeah, exactly.
1: I was expecting to hit the top ten. <laughs> I'd never that was nothing in my remit. You know, it's never been any. The top fifty was out of my normal remit. You know. Yeah. So and, and, you know, I had nothing to lose with it.
3: And, and what is your writing process itself? Do you? I mean, how many drafts do you tend to do when you're when you're writing something?
1: Uh, one. Wow, really? <laughs> but only because I plan a lot. Yeah, okay, okay. So I do a lot of notes and then I do like, I'll have a notebook full of little brainstorms and timelines and what and basics. I, and I have to have the ending locked in place yeah. okay. before I start. So with Dead to Her, I had a different baddie and I started writing then I had to stop for like two months because I thought, mm, I'm not feeling this ending. hmm and rethink the ending and go back. So I plan a lot. And then, so I'll, so I plan. And then I, I mean, I don't plan the whole book, obviously, no. but general markers to see what order it's going in. Then I'll be like, okay, well, what's this to me, the key with any, especially thriller and crime is your structure. Mm-hmm. When your payoffs yeah. are coming,
2: yeah,
1: you know, when are you going to, when your reveals are coming, you want to be just ahead of the reader, but you don't, you know, you don't, you don't want them to be bored of waiting. No. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah and um and then is you know for me the technicalities take more time like who's gonna have a voice how are they gonna how are they gonna tell their stories how are they gonna interlink is there gonna be any past sections which are quite dangerous because people get bored of them so they have to they have to be slight of hands in themselves i think Mm -hmm. they have to reveal a truth that isn't a truth if you know what i mean that can be seen both ways that kind of thing um so then i kind of will have people's timelines Sometimes I'll have, like, their arc. So, throughout, I might have, right, what does Adele want? What does Louise uh, want? What yeah. does David want? And then see what's going to sort of cross-pollute, as it were. And then I'll kind of plan, like, in – I'll do little bubbles. <laughs> God, I'm like a child. <laughs> With, like, notes in for little chapters almost, little sections. So I'll be like, David goes to work. Adele does, you know, lays on the uh-huh. bed, dreams. Louise panicking about whatever, and then I'll do the next bit, and then I decide what order they're going in. Okay. So I'll do a bunch of those bubbles and then think, okay, what order is this going in? So it'll be about ten thousand words worth of little ideas. Uh-huh. So I'll do the bubbles and then I go into Scrivener uh-huh. and rough write it. So I just do sort of steam stream of thought writing. So I because then I'm not thinking, Oh, this is my neat copy. Yeah. So I just kind of write. And then I copy it over into Word and rewrite it.
0: Right,
2: okay.
1: So actually, by the time I've written that, There's
0: I've
2: a lot kind of planning written on it that. three
1: or four times. So yeah. and then when I finish the first draft, I just think, you know what? No, normally, I'm kind of on my deadline. So <laughs> I'm not going to hang around. But I also think, you know, I could polish this. I could rework it. But actually, I'm not trying to sell it. Someone's already bought it. So I need to give it to the people who've bought <laughs> it. They can tell me what I need to change. And then we can polish it afterwards. Yeah. Because yeah. what you really want to know is, uh, you know, do the characters work? Yeah. They might say slow down the ending, make this character more sympathetic. Yeah. You know, no one's looking at how beautiful your sentences are at that stage of the game, you know? so
0: I suppose that's, that is different, isn't it, from from the position of someone that's trying to get into the.
1: Uh, oh, industry. yeah. Then you want it to be yeah, as then, polished yeah. as possible. Well. Yeah.
0: But then the danger is the, that uh, you end up polishing too much. Yeah. Which is. Much, yeah,
1: you can yeah. go over and over. Mm-hmm. And also, I think. I mean, I think it's quite interesting. One of the things that you see differently from horror and crime is crime is very lean prose, Mm -hmm. and horror can be over descriptive. Yeah. So, you know, like, and when you get someone like John Connolly, it comes together perfectly. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got, and you know, the really good horror writers, they've got just enough description for the atmosphere, but then they have also passages that are as lean as a crime novel. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, But I do think, especially. It's a you know it's new. I mean, I look at God. I mean, I wouldn't even look at the hidden. <laughs> you know, I'm scared <laughs> of that book. But you know, you do when you're starting out. You want to over describe it. You think it's got to be about the language or whatever. But I can't remember who it was. It might have even been a Stephen King quote. or I'm probably misquoting somebody else. But all you need is one beautiful sentence every couple of pages. Do you know what I mean?
2: Because yeah, most no people there, but...
1: just story. Yeah. No. You know, and as long as the writing is punchy you know, the odd description, you know, I mean, I know it's each to their own, but if you're trying to write literary prose that 500 people are going to buy, labour over every word, mm. make each sentence a poem. But if you're trying to entertain people, yeah, just get them in the world and, yeah. you know, and get on with it, especially like that opening. Yeah. I've read so many new books or new authors and the, you know, who, as pre-editor, you know, the first three pages are describing the weather hammering on a window or something you yeah. think, oh, yeah. just tell me you can't sleep and it's raining outside yeah do you know what yeah. i mean and get like, onto
0: the plot yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. yeah yeah start start as close to the big moment as possible yeah exactly yeah,
0: her, yeah. um so you you mentioned dead to her which is your oh. new book um yeah. which is out in the u.s very tuesday
2: next tuesday
0: yeah so as we record this next tuesday um do you want to tell us a bit about that one
1: yeah, it's a bit more, um, it's more behind your eyes than across the heart. Okay. It's set in Savannah, Georgia, and it's about two second wives. Um, so they're both young. They're both married to very wealthy men. I call it Big Little Lies meets Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil.
2: Hang on,
1: mate. Good uh, Quite a class. Richard, Osman, Richard Osman called it. Dallas meets Tales of the Unexpected, <laughs> which is also a good comparison. So there's a bit of voodoo weird, a bit of fla a bit like but not as speculative as behind rise, but there's definite hints of weird, but mm-hmm. you've got very rich people being atrocious to each other. Uh you serious. know, and obviously a murder and you know, secrets and but it's very twisty. But I, for me it's like Cross of Heart was very serious mm-hmm. in its subject matter. And this, I just want people to have a fun read, which is why it's coming out in the summer over here because it's set in this hot, steamy town and, Mm. you know, it's a bit sexy, it's a bit dark, it's fun. So um, mm, I'm hopeful for it.
3: Is it hard to to set a book in a place that you don't live in? Yeah,
1: Yeah. I mean, I was planning to go there. I mean, it was a tricky one because I went to Savannah um, to do a a bookseller event and I loved it. I I mean, I went to New Orleans first because I think it was BoucherCon that was on there. And then the next day I flew down to Savannah. And I thought I would like New Orleans more than Savannah. But I, even though Savannah's more conservative and probably more Trump and all those things, but as a town, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the people are so polite. And it's got that real Southern charm. It's like a place out outside. But you know, it's totally like Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, <laughs> even though that was like 30 or 40 years ago now, yeah. whatever. Still has that same vibe. Um, so I was planning to go back um in that kind of it's a work research trip but yeah. go back for like a month or you know do two lots of three weeks or whatever because obviously i don't like leaving my dog for long um but sadly my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer so like oh, last yeah. year was kind yeah. of taken up with him with well, the year before last actually good times going by um you know he was dying so i couldn't really i was in charge of taking him to all the hospital appointments and stuff because my mum's old as well so uh, i didn't get back so there was a lot of i was subscribed to savannah now the E Magazine, which has sending things to do. And there was a lot of there was a thank God for the internet and Google Maps. Yeah. You know, because you literally yeah. can't yeah. think, okay, where would these people live? And where would you know, I mean, God knows how people write books.
0: I mean, Didn't yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's it is a resource that's now available to people. Yeah. Where whereas it would never you know, oh, it even a nightmare twenty years ago you couldn't have done that. Road and
1: also, yeah. you know, we we're lucky in some ways in that we're so immersed in American culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know we understand, and we we may stereotype it somewhat, mm-hmm. but we under, you know, like we see it on TV, yeah. we see it in movies, you know. So it's not like you know we know Chinese comes in cardboard boxes. Yeah,
3: you know? yeah, and even if it's not the accurate thing, it's, yeah, you know, you know the stuff that sells from the books or films you watch, so you yeah, know that's that's you know, good
0: enough, is not yeah. it?
1: And also, most Americans probably haven't even been to Savannah. It's an enormous country. Yeah, they probably know as much about it as I do. But yeah, I loved it. I mean, you know, I kind of wrote it and thought, oh, God, if this book is a little bit successful, maybe they'll invite me to Savannah to do something.
0: (laughs) Surely you get to go there on a book tour or something.
1: Well, you know, book tours are... I'd, I always wanted a book tour until Behind Her Eyes came out. And then I got a book tour. And I'm not a massive fan of flying, which right. is a bit That's of okay. an understatement. But it was two and a half weeks of a plane every day. Wow. And you're literally getting on a plane, getting in a car, going to the hotel, getting a quick bite to eat and a gin and tonic or something. Then you're in another car to take you to a bookstore where there could be 30 people, there could be three people. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's just yeah. relentless. And what do you funny- do
3: each one? Do you do you read some of the book, or do you just answer questions, or do you just?
1: Sign <laughs> well, I had a talk, and so I'd written this talk before I went. Obviously, so I knew I had this talk. But in England, you know, or Scotland, you go to a so they give you a glass of wine. In America, they're not allowed to do that. So you're literally given a bottle of water. So you're, yeah. <laughs> so I had like. I had a 20-minute talk, which I tried to make kind of entertaining about women and, you know, mm. women's attitudes for the women and stuff. And then I would read the first two chapters, and now I have a and a And at the start of the tour, that was the hour. It was nice. And by the end, blah, 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 my talk <laughs> was so fun because I was so bored of it. I would know, so bored of the same questions. But, I mean – God love Americans, they come out and they support. And, and Ian Rankin was three days ahead of me. Wow. And Charlie Crumman was two days behind me. <laughs> so Ian Rankin messaged me one day and he said, how's your bit of tour going? And I said, Ian, I spent five hours thinking I was going to die on a plane from Chicago. because was And a storm was following me around every day. <laughs> I said, I, I, then I got to my hotel and the restaurant was closed for refurbishment. So I had to have this room service pass that was horrible. Then I had a two-hour drive in a car to get to the bookstore. And there was two people. <laughs> and the corona's girlfriend. And so I did my, which is Because if there was no one, you wouldn't even bother doing the talk. Because yeah, yeah. there was two. And so he then was telling people at his events to come to mine. So, fact, I would get there and there'd be all these people going, Ian Rankin told us that you were really funny and we had to come. So it was like I owe that man about eighty five pounds.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but despite despite the the flying and everything, it, obviously it was a success. do you think the book tours make a massive um, no, not at all. I think, not, I, think
1: well, I think they probably do. Difference. If you if you can fill a hall like like Neil Gaiman, if mm-hmm. you have if you on the week of your book release, if you fill five hundred people, and um, you know like six places of even six places of 300 people you'd go, you're gonna be in the top 10 if they all buy a book mm-hmm. you know like that's, that's guaranteed but for people like me no and also the book came out it was difficult because the book came out in america at the same time as here so i was sitting in my hotel room in i think i was in san francisco or somewhere on my own and i got a message to say that i was number one in the sunday times <laughs> And I was like, glass of wine for one. I don't know. <laughs> so we couldn't monopolize on that over here. But then we went, we did go in the New York Times. We I was joined. There was like, I think Ian Rankin was above me, but they said there was so little in it. You know, it was like a joint. Yeah. Thing. But no, it, that the kind of, I, I wasn't selling enough. The, the book sales on my book tour were not making the difference between <laughs> that. I think it's more, I think it just shows that the publisher has some faith in you, but yeah. I think yeah. it's, I'm not sure it's time well spent
2: okay.
1: because it's a lot of travel and then it takes you But I mean, like you're literally, I mean, I was having a beer at nine o'clock in the morning because I hate flying. <laughs> and there was one day and then you're moving time zones. You've got different types of clothes because yep. you're going to different temperatures. You're on your road. My publicist wasn't with me. So I'm literally trundling myself around America. To, and obviously there's lovely drivers waiting for you with a nice car. And, yep. and well, I went to Seattle and my ex-flatmate lived there with his husband. So I said, well, meet me if, you, if you're coming, meet me beforehand oh. and we'll go for some food. So we went for some food. And then they said, well, how are we going to get to the event? And I said, my car's over there. And there was this black sort of stretch car. No, 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 a really not nice stretch car. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, that's my driver. <laughs> so he took us. And there was like five people. But one person was, weirdly, another friend of mine called Angus McKenzie, who lives in holland but was working in seattle that week so then i was like there's a wine bar near my hotel come on everybody in my car in my car and, then, <laughs> God, and then he was like you've got a car i said yes yes in my car so <laughs> poor driver I had to drive us back and i said like, this is who i am now <laughs> but, but it's just you know you're eating crap food and then you get back you get a cold takes yeah. you two weeks to recover yeah. and it's you know God, I sound so freaking miserable. <laughs> but it's not, you know, like it's one of those things you think you're going to want. Yeah. But I think you only really want it if you're really, su- you you're only really enjoy it if you're really successful.
3: Yeah, okay. Because, well,
0: it's a good thing to have done then, but maybe.
3: Yeah, maybe.
1: <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like, it's not something I push for. Yeah. I'm very happy to not do a tour.
0: Yeah.
1: I'd rather do targeted events than a tour. You know, like I'd rather they say, oh, we've lined up five water stones where you're going to do an event yeah. with this author oh, okay. and, you know, with that author and do it that way. They're like, oh, we're going to tour you around the country because I think it's like fantasy. People are proper diehard fans of yeah.
3: fantasy, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Whereas
1: yeah. I read a lot of crime novels. I wouldn't turn up to hear the author talk. Yeah,
3: yeah. I'd
1: buy the book, yeah. but it's not that; it's a different kind of fandom.
3: So, are you not going over so if, So, the, your new book is launching on Tuesday in the states. So, you, you're yeah. obviously not going back over for a 2 no. year picture. No. no, are you? Are you nervous? Are you, are you looking forward to it? It's yeah, a big so moment.
1: I'm this. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah i am uh, uh but we've got like a there's an airport thing called hudson's in america yes. where yeah, they yeah, 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 yeah so they're in every new they're like a news book place and they're in all the airports and they pick like i think three or four books to have a special hudson's edition so Ma, i've got a special hudson's edition so we're oh, hoping that's so what, what's
3: special just, about the, the hudson edition
1: uh it's do you know like in the, we have airport versions of books don't mm, we
3: smaller kind of
1: like it, trade paperback yeah yeah, paperback. yeah
3: exactly
1: they don't do that in america so this is quite a new thing oh, okay okay so they have theirs it has hudson special edition on the front i've there's a letter inside from me oh cool it's got it's got like extra bit at the back it's a bit cheaper so you kind of i don't but i just don't understand the, the like in england i know that if we get the supermarkets and you get WH Smiths and you know what price point it's going out at. You know, you've r- roughly, you know who else is coming out. You know roughly whether you've got a chance of getting in the top 10 or not. Yeah, okay. or you, I, I literally don't understand how it works in America. know, <laughs> <laughs> So I literally have no idea. I just hope it doesn't tank. That's my only, you know, I'm still, you know, there's very much part of me that is still writing those books for leisure. You know? Like, <laughs> I'm still like, oh my God, but, it's all going to
3: fall apart tomorrow. <laughs> I, th-
0: I, think, I, th- I think everyone we've spoken to is, is yeah. that. You, the, yeah. That sort of imposter syndrome. And, that,
3: and that must be what makes, it keeps you on your toes a little bit, doesn't it? Because when you get complacent, I don't, it, you get a bit I don't lazy. believe in imposter syndrome. No, okay. I don't have that. Because I do think that most people, if they,
1: I think it's, I think most people, if you really got at the nub of it, do trust that they know what they're doing. They just don't trust success. Right. You yeah, don't know, we know how. So I think imposter syndrome is maybe more about personality than it is about what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, like you think, oh, you know, I think of Harlan Coben or Ian Rankin or Val McDermott as like they totally got it down. Yeah. You know, whereas I know they don't. Everyone worries about their book, but we're all just people. So yeah. I think imposter syndrome is more a personality thing because actually most people would say, yeah, they they know roughly where they are in the chain of how good they are. You know, like yeah. they might not think yeah. they're brilliant. But you know, you, you know, I know I'm pretty. Consistent, mm-hmm. you know, like you know, I'm not going to write a book, a prize-winning novel, but at the same time, you know, I'm out to entertain, and that's what I try and do. Yeah. So it is, but yeah, it's just that the market is fickle, the publishing industry is fickle. So much is out of your control. Yeah, yeah. You know that that's what's scary.
0: Mm-hmm. I think. And you're you're also working in TV stuff as well. You mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So how how did you get into that?
1: Um, well, I did new tricks ages ago mm-hmm. um, because I knew some people from Twitter, actually, that worked on the show as directors and assistant directors, and um, they gave Amanda Redman one of my books, and so she started to read my books and it kind of went from there. Um, and I've just been kind of lucky. I do a lot, you know, I've just been quite lucky with my networking and people that I've met. And I think, because obviously Behind Her Eyes is going to be on Netflix in the summer.
3: Yes, oh, in the summertime. That's very yeah. soon, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's nearly finished the edit. But I think they hand it to Netflix in April. But then obviously they have to put all the different languages on it. <laughs> so I think it'll probably be like July by the time it comes out. Brilliant. But, you know, it's interesting because you go for meetings about, the, like when people wanted to option the book. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a lot of meetings for Behind Her Eyes. And then you get to know people. And then with Dead to Her, a lot of people wanted Dead to Her. So I had a conversation with a woman at Netflix uh and someone at um village roadshow so then i almost adapted another book for them and so you just meet people and mm-hmm. then they're like oh send us a script and so i get you know i i, I get paid more for scripts and i got paid for any of my books before behind her eyes and none of them seem to get made but <laughs> you know like that's the nature of screenwriting yeah yeah, I've got, yeah yeah so but i'm quite excited about this project because left bank obviously are the ones who well, not obviously but they made behind her eyes for netflix okay and so we were like, why don't we do another six-parter, you know? So yeah. we've, we've kind of, we're just about to, we've done sort of the outline, and I'm just about to start episode one of that, so that's quite fun.
3: And is this something new, not based on a book?
1: No, I, know, I don't really ever want to adapt my own things. I'm kind of like, I already, I'm bored of it.
3: Yeah. yeah.
1: Go back into it for another couple of years. And also, I'm very pragmatic, and I kind of like, I think, well, I want the book to have the best chance of getting made. So get
3: the best writer who you think is going to get the best chance. Yeah, it's, it's, go- it's a fair point because adapting a book to script to screen is, you Know it's hard to know. I'd imagine if, you, if it's your book, you're, you're maybe too close to it. You don't know, you don't want to leave things yeah. out, you need to get left out for screen. And I just
1: think whether whether you think, because I always think I, I would be all right at that, but I also think you don't know how subconsciously you're attached to different bits yeah. of your story, yeah. and you've seen it this way, so how hard it is to rip it apart and put it back together. And I know a lot of writers do like to adapt, but I think. Um, I was chatting to the people who have dead to her option mm-hmm. in LA and he was saying, did you not want to adapt it yourself? And I said, no, <laughs> no, thank you. Get someone else to do that. Um, what was it? I was like, I've lost my plot of thought. What was, yeah. oh yeah. And he said, oh, cause a lot of authors like to get a foot in the screenwriting door with adapting. And I said, yeah, but I'm already doing screenwriting. Yeah. So I'd rather do that than adapt my own book, knowing that they're probably going to kick you off after the first draft. There's very (laughs) few people like Gillian Flynn. Yeah, You know, I know Mike Carey adapted his, but he was writing the
0: script. He was writing it at the same time. Yeah, we spoke to Mike. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a different...
1: I know, because I almost did it with this, you know, I might be doing it with this one with Left Bank, but I think I'll write a different book. Mm hmm I haven't told my editor that so
0: yeah, now he's, I, he seemed to really enjoy the process of doing yeah. the of them at the same time because
3: mm, one seemed to inform the other almost Yeah, like and also and the forth. script
0: took much long the film took much longer obviously yeah. so he sort of stayed in that world. Yeah you
1: see this is another false thing that people say about screenwriting they always say oh, a script is so much faster than a book mm. and I think yeah the first draft is yeah. Yeah. but then you've got 85 people who all have a view on that yeah. Yeah. And, you know like the amount of. I mean I think you know I've been working on a TV project with um federation in france who made marianne and duchess street and we've been to and fro you know we've you know i've done two episodes mm. but that's been like two years
2: yeah yeah it's you a know long, a long different two years
1: and getting more money from this place and have we got finance and have we got that so you know and so the idea of doing that with a book you've already written once you know maybe yeah. for a yes but not for a tv series <laughs> that would be hell
0: Um, You've said a few times, actually, that that, uh, networking and going Mm -hmm. to cons and things is really important. Uh, Just thinking from the point of view of some of our listeners Mm -hmm. who are wanting to, you know, make a career Mm -hmm. of writing and stuff, obviously that can be quite a daunting prospect for, for people that, you know, it's different, I think, if you've got a publisher or an agent or something because... You know, well, a you've got that, but also it's given you a bit of confidence or whatever. And a lot of writers tend to be quite protective nervous. and nervous have- of, of of their work before you know they're worried that someone's going to say, "Absolutely not, get out of here" or whatever. Yeah. Um, but but it is worth breaking through that that those Yeah, nervous, I mean, I, guess. I think the first
1: time I went to Harrogate Crime Festival. I actually went with a chick lit writer called Carol Matthews. Mm-hmm. Because she was sitting around here and she was thinking about writing crime. And I definitely wanted to write crime. And I went and we literally just were very quiet. I mean, I would have stayed at the bar longer, but she was like, she wanted to go to every panel, you know, like so she was properly taking notes, mm-hmm. but I wasn't. And um, and then the next year when I went and I made some friends, and they were like, but you've never been here before. And I said, yes, I was here. all last. They said, no, we would have known. And I was like, no, but I do think there is, Play, there, there are some festivals that are more friendly than others. So Harrogate, mm-hmm. I think, is very inclusive. Actually, mm-hmm. within the writers themselves, there are cliques. You know, whether yeah. they're cliques or fre- I mean, if people say cliques. I think friendship groups is probably a better way. You know, like yeah, you go once, you, you see these people three yeah. times a year. You're going to hang out with the yeah. people that you yeah. like. But I've also they're also very um, like my friend Harriet that I was at school with, whom she wrote a book called Blood Orange that's just been in the Sunday Times cool sellers. but she was doing an ma and creative writing and she came along uh with some other people and i walked into the bar area and she was chatting to mark billingham and did, you know and mm-hmm. i think it's got that because because people writing crime are more successful than in other genres mm-hmm. even if they don't think they are they're still selling way more books than someone writing yeah. horror or fantasy yeah they're not as um there's there seems to be less uptightness Mm-hmm. so you can just people will chat in the bar and you can be in the bar at Harrogate and the Lee Child will be over here and Ian Rankin will be over there and they'll chat yeah, to all sorts yeah. of people and the beer flows and so I do think I think for horror and fantasy it's slightly more difficult because oh god I'm gonna alienate all my horror and fantasy. <laughs> but a lot of people are slightly more socially awkward in those circles yeah you know like there's a lot of people that will want a badge that says don't approach me or you know, they. You know, maybe slightly. But I think it comes with the nature of that fandom. Yeah. yeah. You know, it appeals to people who are shyer, maybe, or feel although, a little bit.
0: Although, actually, in a, in, a, in the other on the other side of the coin, like you were saying earlier, it has a bigger fandom. You know, if you like it.
1: Oh, it's massive. It, yeah. Then
0: you're. There's. You know. If someone likes a particular sci-fi thing, then they're loyal to it much more yeah. than yeah. to a crime writer and so, and or something.
1: So, but now at a lot of the sci-fi and fantasy conventions, they're the organisers the organisers are realising that actually sometimes people need a little help with the social side of it, so they'll yeah. have like a newbie's corner
2: mm-hmm. and okay. then
1: someone will come and make sure everyone's okay and then introduce them to other people and make sure that if there's like a quiz night, they'll maybe get a couple of newbies on a table of people who've been a few times. So I think... It is, you know, the whole thing is, a, I, for me, it's it's about watching and learning uh-huh. to go to a thing. You know, like go to the panels, watch and see how people do things. And also, you know, if you come out of there having made one friend or one connection. Because yeah, I mean, yeah. when you say networking, it sounds so um,
2: mercenary. And I don't mean it. Yeah. yeah,
1: I don't mean it that way. I just mean it's, you know, I sometimes think I'm the Kevin Bacon of writing because I know someone in every genre. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, like, because I mix in so many genres, uh-huh. you know, someone will say, oh, well, Sarah knows so-and-so, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and I might not know them well. And I'm quite a hermit, you know, I don't go to as many book launches as I should, and I don't I don't find the festivals as fun as they did when I was starting out, uh-huh. you know, because it's all kind of, everyone impresses you then, you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. everything's like, oh, my God, you know, like, I remember I went to Fantasy Con, my first Fantasy Con, and I knew Tim Lefford and Mark Morris, And that was it because we had (laughs) all been at a convention in New York together that I'd taken my dad to because I was (laughs) so nervous of going on my own. And so we thought, well, if I don't like it, we can just have five days in New York. Yeah. My dad just got drunk at publishing five days while I hung out with Tim and Mark. But so I went to this fantasy con, and we went. This is this is you know like just shows how everyone is a newbie at some point so we go for this dinner and there's like ramsey campbell and the crowders, and there's, yeah, they've all known each other forever mm-hmm. and mark went to the loo and he went in the gent's toilet and when he came out i was standing outside the toilets and he said what are you doing i said i was just too nervous to stay at the table on my own <laughs> 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 so i think everyone has those stories you yeah. know yeah And it was through that, you know, it was that, that, then we went to another convention in Madison and I met Chris Golden and, Uh you know, we had our little pussy. So you slowly just, you just slowly meet people and it's all about the bar. Even if you don't drink, it's all no one's pressurizing anyone to drink, Uh but it's, you know, it's all, I mean, obviously I drink, but it's all about hanging out in the bar. And I think it, I think it's almost better when you're starting out. Because there's no kind of, oh, how are you doing? How are you yeah, doing? Yeah. You know, and there's no kind of talking about the business as such because, you know, like you just, I just remember being, I remember leaving school and driving to Nottingham to get to Fantasy Con. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited because it was pre Facebook and pre Twitter. Mm-hmm. So it was, the, you know, like it was either the Fantasy Con open nights or going to Fantasy Con where I saw other writers,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and it was so important to me. And I'd just be like, oh my God oh, didn't you say that? Oh, my God. Everything was such a, oh, my God, Graham Joyce. Oh, my yeah. God, God, brilliant. And I was so impressed by everybody. And now I'm such a cynical old woman. And the of course, <laughs> cynical old
3: woman. <laughs> and it must give you like a boost to think, you know, like because a, a lot of writing is by yourself in a room and you can get quite dull and you can get to that point where you think, this book's just shite, I don't want to finish it. So imagine going <laughs> to a con and, and seeing other successful writers, you get a bit of a buzz from it and that must give you a yeah. boost to go home and write more.
1: Oh, totally, totally, absolutely. And then we went through a little phase of a group of us would go rent a cottage. So there'd be Tim oh. Levin, me, Mark Morris, Adam Neville, um, oh God, uh, uh, Paul Malloy. There was about eight of us like um, in rotation. And we just used to have, su- oh, Steve Volk, we just had such a blast. We would go, like rent some cheap cottage in Wales,
2: yeah. take
1: a hoofing load of booze and food. Have breakfast, write for a few hours, have lunch, write for a few hours, and then just someone would cook dinner and we'd drink and be stupid. And it was like proper. Brilliant. And then once me and Tim went full time, we went on one. And I remember we were having this conversation and saying it doesn't feel the same now because we're full time writers. So yeah. we had jobs. Yeah. It was like, yeah. right, we've got to get in the car and go. And Adam Neville would get the train to Milton Keynes and I'd drive us. And, you know, I really loved it. And it was
3: more, more like a ho- holiday is the wrong word, but like a break from your normal routine. And it was
1: like you're chasing the dream. I and mean, yeah. we're all we're yeah. chasing the dream, but we we weren't as cynical about it. There mm. we was as afraid because we didn't have anything to lose. Yeah. You know, so it was just like, it was, I suppose it's like anything when you're young and full of the excitement of it. And you know, you just look at people and think, oh my God, maybe you wonder. Yeah. You know, I used to look at him like that. I used to think, oh, my God, he's written so many books, and I'm just – and I had my one book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has written a lot of books. It's a lot too.
3: of books, yeah. Um, so, so Dead to Her is your second book in your three-book deal, is that correct?
1: Um, It's the second book in my three-book deal in America, uh-huh. and it's the first book of my three-book deal in the UK.
3: Oh, okay, cool. Okay. Because so I had
1: a two-book deal in the UK.
3: Right. Okay. And
1: now this is a new deal.
3: Nice. Yeah. So are you are you already working on your next book then?
1: Depends who you ask. If you ask me, in front of publishers, <laughs> I would say yes. Yeah. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I mean, right I'm, now I'm you're working thinking, on it. <laughs> yes. Right, as, even as we speak, you're typing. typing exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it, it was technically it's it's supposed to. Hmm, it might be the thing I'm doing with Left Bank. So I might be doing a Mike Carey. and writing side by side. Cool. But. I may just write another book that I've got an idea for. So they gave me a deadline the other day, which has focused my mind. So, so, yeah, um, yeah, we'll see. I'm going to write 20,000 words of something else and throw it at them. And then if they say, no, that's shit, I'll go back and quickly write the other one.
3: (laughs) And where where do you get the idea from then? What is it that gives you that spark of a story?
1: I don't know. I mean, you do go looking, you know. I think, like, with Dead to Her, I wanted to write something about, um, I wanted to write something fun, and I wanted to write something a little bit sexy, like behind her eyes was, and mm-hmm. you know, rich people and stuff. And yeah. but you know, I do find myself trawling like news items, and you know, and then sometimes you think you've got an idea, and then one tiny little fragment of notes about that idea becomes the book. But it you know, I do sort of think sometimes if I if I had that girl on a train moment, mm-hmm. you know, where you suddenly have more money than sense, which in my case doesn't take much money. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like I would probably take a year out and let the brain recover yeah you know because it is like kind of think oh my god and then then I think well I am working on like four tv things really in total plus a book like you know plus there's always other little bits and pieces so you know it's a bit yeah but you know if I didn't work I don't I, I don't know what I'd do I'm mm-hmm. too lazy to do actually leave the house <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, So, what was the last book that you read? Uh,
1: God. Oh, yes. Samantha Lee Howe, The Stranger in Our Bed, is coming out April.
3: Nice. Is it a recommended read?
1: Yeah, it's a fun romp of a thriller. Nice. Yeah. I've been reading quite a lot recently, yeah. That was literally the last one.
3: Excellent. Uh, What was the last TV show you watched? Or are watching. Or are watching, yeah. Uh,
1: The Outsider.
3: Oh, I just finished... Reading the book, uh, I've not watched the show yet. Yeah, but I've heard it's really and I,
1: good.
3: And I did The Stranger at the weekend. Oh, okay. Uh, Richard isn't it Harlan
0: Coben, Richard Armitage. Yeah. Armitage. Harlan
3: yeah. 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 Coben. All yeah. oh, right. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, is it good? Yeah, it's again. It's a romp. You know, like leave <laughs> leave your sensibility at the door. But yeah. you you have to watch to find. You have to know what happened. You know, like it's really good at
0: that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and what was the last film you saw?
1: Oh, I watched Judy last night.
3: Okay. okay. Oh, yeah. I
1: cried quite a lot. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I heard her family weren't keen on it. Is that was it? Her grandkid or her daughter didn't uh, like it.
1: it might have been her daughter because her daughter, one of her daughters, does feature quite heavily in it. Oh,
3: right, okay, okay.
1: I thought it was quite sweet, really. Yeah. Nice, cool. But then, you know, I cried at the end of The Good Place, like just before I watched
3: Judy's. Oh, as well. yeah, I've, I've not watched it yet, but I've, <laughs> all over Twitter, everybody was crying about it, apparently. I
1: totally spoiled it for the, someone I was <laughs> on the podcast
3: with last night as well. So, <laughs> um, so now we'll do a quick a quick uh, one or other type answers. Uh, mm-hmm. So, horror or fantasy? Horror.
0: Um, a real book or an e book?
1: Real book.
3: It's going to be a tough one, Stephen King or Joe Hill?
1: Oh, Stephen King! <laughs> <laughs> Joe Hill's good, but he's you got a that is waiting for
3: God's sake. Sarah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Although I have got full throttle beside my bed that I've
0: been reading as well. So excellent. Um,
3: uh,
0: TV or cinema?
3: TV.
1: I'm
3: a hermit. <laughs> uh, this might answer the next one as well. Then fancy restaurant or a takeaway? Oh,
1: fancy restaurant. Oh, I thought you were a hermit. Yeah, but I do love a fancy
3: restaurant.
1: (laughs) That's what I spend my money on. I don't buy posh clothes, (laughs) but I do like an experiential spend of a dinner.
0: So that was Sarah Pimbra there. I thought that was a really interesting and fun chat. So thanks again to Sarah for coming on and speaking with us. We really do appreciate authors taking the time to... Come and speak to us on the podcast. Uh, We get so much out of it and uh, we hope they find it worthwhile as well. As I said, uh, Sarah's new book Dead to Her is out in the USA this week and as you may have heard is also out in the UK later this summer. She's also got various TV projects on the go as we discussed and I think she gave us an exclusive possibly to say that Behind Her Eyes will be out on Netflix this summer. So uh, that's definitely one to tune into. Next week, we've got another great chat with an indie comics writer, Dave Cook, who's a creator of comics such as Bust, Vessels, and perhaps best known for his comic series Kiltopia, which is a sort of battle royale, running man, cyberpunk mashup that you never knew you wanted, but once you start reading it, you have to finish it. It's a great read. And um, We discussed that in detail with Dave and also discussed with Dave how you get comics made when you're not part of a massive publisher like Marvel or DC or Image. So it was a really great chat. Tarek should be back for that one as well to do the intro and outro. You'll be glad to hear. Um, so do tune in for that one. If you did enjoy the podcast uh, as it's a new season, I felt I should say that we really, really would appreciate it if you could leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. Even if you're not listening to this on an Apple device, just go to Apple Podcasts and search for The Page One Podcast. You have to include The in there because I think there are other podcasts with similar names. Um, But if you can find us there, leave us a rating, even better, leave us a review. And that really helps us shoot up the charts in terms of visibility so that more people can find this podcast, which we hope you find useful. Uh, And also, if you liked it, Tell your friends, family, co-workers, anyone else you know. Get them to download and listen to the podcast as well. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, We also love to hear from our listeners. So if you want to get in touch, you can contact us on Twitter. Uh, Our Twitter is at right, as in to write W-R-I-T-E, underscore gear. Or on Facebook, which is at rightgearuk. Or drop us an email at podcast at rightgear.co.uk. And the last thing to say is, in case you don't know, uh, we at Right Gear also designed Page One, the Writer's Notebook, which is a specially designed notebook divided into seven sections, such as characters, plot, setting, and so on, with specially designed templates to try and help you plan your next great story. We're delighted to say that uh, professional authors such as Tim Lebin, Sarah Pimbra, and many more have used Page One. And think it's a great product so please do check that out if you're interested in writing you can find that on our website writegear.co.uk and uh, I'll just leave you with a brief advert talking a bit more about that but otherwise I hope to speak to you next week the blank page to some it's terrifying an obstacle to overcome but we prefer to think of it as an opportunity a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head so how to overcome that fear Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is... Write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow.
3: But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? And that's when we realized it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page
0: one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy to use sections that will help you plan your story. So that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realized you need to plan how to let people read it. So we included a section relating to submissions.
3: Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps.
0: We can't wait to read what you come up with.
3: And remember, every story starts with page one.